0: And this morning we're going to look at Psalm 51. And it's a psalm that was written by David after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, after she had gotten pregnant, and then in an attempt to cover his tracks, which we do that sometimes in our shame, don't we? We try to cover our tracks. In his shame, he tried to cover his tracks and ended up killing her husband so that he wouldn't get found out for impregnating her. And David, after all of that, he thought, you know what, I I got away with it. I'm going to move on with my life. And he tried and he tried and he tried to bottle up and cover up the shame for a while. But eventually he was rebuked by a friend and the shame came back and it rushed over him. And he was overcome, not with guilt for what he had done, but shame for who he was. And you have to imagine that David, David, when he was a young man, God anointed him to be king himself. I mean David wasn't elected by a vote. He wasn't a, I mean he wasn't chosen. He wasn't a part of a monarchy. He was God himself said that is the man that is going to be king. And you know why God chose him? He said because David is a man after my own heart. And so David was the mighty warrior of God that won battles for Israel. God said of David, this is a man after my own heart. And now David is left alone in his sin. And he's probably thinking, God got it wrong. Man after his heart? Not at all. I don't feel like that at all, David probably thought. He thought, I'm probably a failure. Why would God ever anoint me king? He made a mistake. He'll never be able to use me again. I am worthless. I'm finished. And in his shame, though, he wrote this song. And if you guys will, please stand for the reading of God's word if you can. Psalm 51, David says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, God, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time that my mother conceived of me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way and that sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure make Zion prosper, build up the walls of Jerusalem, then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you, the bulls will be offered on your altar. This is God's word. When we think of David, often most of us, when we think of David, we think that his greatest victory was slaying a giant, but as one author writes, this is not true. David's greatest victory is Psalm 51, his victory over his own past, his victory over his own shame. And I know that there are probably some of you, maybe many of you that, like me, bring a lot of shame into this room this morning. And you wonder to yourself, how could God ever love someone like you or how could God use you? And if this is you this morning, Psalm 51 is for you. David's prayer shows us what to do with our shame. David's prayer shows us how to overcome our shame. And it begins like this. It begins with an appeal for God's mercy. Look in verses 1-3. through It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. David begins in his shame. He says... Have mercy on me, God. Notice that he's not blame shifting. He's not trying to cover up his sin. He's not saying, well, if Bathsheba wouldn't have been taking a bath on the roof, if Bathsheba hadn't been doing that, if Uriah hadn't been away, if I, you know, I was just stressed because I was the king. I had a lot of pressure. He's not listing his past accomplishments. He's not trying to cover up his sin. He's not bargaining with God. He's not even comparing himself to others. You know we do that sometimes in our shame. Well, you know I'm not as bad as Pedro. You know, <laughs> David's not doing that. He's not comparing himself to others. He instead just says, "God, have mercy on me," because he knows that he has no other hope. He knows that his sin is too far is far too great for him to gloss over or cover up. And notice that David doesn't say, "I messed up, God. I messed up. I made a mistake." He says, "My sin is ever." Before me, that's shame. Later, he says, "When I was conceived, I was conceived in sin. When I came out of my mother's womb, I was sinful." He doesn't cry. I've sinned. He says, "I am a sinner." That's shame. And here's something that's really cool to notice. He uses, you know, the Bible. Uh, the Psalms were actually written in Hebrew. And he, if you know the Hebrew language. David actually uses every possible word for sin that existed in the Hebrew language. He says, blot out my transgressions. That's the Hebrew word pasha, which means willful rebellion. Then he says, wash me from my iniquity, which is the Hebrew word avah, this word iniquity. And that means I'm twisted out of shape. The way God designed me to act, I'm just all twisted up. And then he says, my sin Is ever before me. That's the Hebrew word kata, which means missing the mark. He said, I've missed the mark. And don't miss this, because David, he's a songwriter. You know, he's a poet. But these aren't synonyms that he's using for poetic effect. These These are the different ways in which one can break the law of God. And what David is saying is he says, I have my transgressions, I'm guilty of transgressions, I'm guilty of iniquity, I'm guilty of sin, I'm guilty of willful rebellion, I'm twisted, i shape and I've missed the mark. What he is saying is that I'm guilty in every fundamental sense of breaking the law of God. There is not a way in which you can disobey God that I haven't done. I'm guilty in my heart, in my words, in my thoughts, in my actions. And he says, in very, in fact, my very nature is sinful. He says, I'm ashamed. And David knows. He, he knew the Bible. And he knew that those that were guilty and those that should be ashamed like that, that the law demanded his death. I mean, David has broken pretty much all the commandments, especially the bad ones, right? Murder, adultery, lying, coveting. He says, because of those things in which I've done, I'm, I, I deserve death. But he says, I'm going to throw myself on the mercy of God. Maybe there's some other plan that God can have for me. Yes, I'm a sinner, God, but what about your mercy? I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. David owns it. He says, I can't talk my way out of this. I can't get rid of this sin by washing it off, by taking a shower. I can't even make sacrifices. He said, "All my only hope is God's mercy." And see, when you are caught in shame, when you are caught in your sin, real repentance demands that you say to God that you demands that you don't say to God, "You know, you caught me at a bad time. I'll do better tomorrow." Real repentance is saying that I feel shame over what I've done. I recognize that I'm a sinner and that I've done something wrong. And that there's something wrong within me. But repentance is then throwing yourself on the grace and the mercy of God. See, grace and mercy can only be understood when you admit the full weight of the depravity of your own heart. And you admit that you don't deserve his grace and you don't deserve his mercy. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. Who wants to prosper? Proverbs 28 says, if you conceal your sin, you will not prosper. I listened to a sermon yesterday and a guy said, perhaps the best thing that could ever happen to us is for the whole world to know everything we've ever done wrong. And he said, I know that makes us sound nervous and scared. He said, but think about the freedom that you would find if, if it was all out there. Because then you could say this. Yes, this is who I am. But God has forgiven me, and God loves me even in the midst of me. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. David does not conceal his sin. He lays it bare. Here it is, God. My only hope is your mercy. But then he confesses his sin. He says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. I have always thought this verse 4 is really weird. He says, against you and you only have I sinned, God. And I'm like, what? What about Bathsheba? He sinned against her. What about Uriah? He's dead. Against you and you only, God? See, sins' consequence. Our sin, our, the consequences of our sin, never fall solely on us. Almost always, somebody else is left hurt in the wreckage. But David realizes something that we often fail to see with our own sin, and that is that. Yet yeah, he knows he's sinned against Uriah. He knows he's sinned against Bathsheba. But he recognizes that our sin always begins first against God before it affects others, and true confession. Requires this understanding. See as David's sin progressed. He certainly brought more and more people into the wreckage. But this whole thing. His whole sin. The the whole adultery with Bathsheba. It didn't begin with him on his rooftop. Watching Bathsheba bathe. It began in the rooftop of his mind. Where he was looking upon something that was not his, and he lusted and coveted after this woman. But his first sin was not lusting and coveting against this woman. It was essentially saying, God, all that you have given me, it's not enough. I need one more thing. I need that. I need something that is somebody else's. See, his first sin was not being content with the life that God had given him. And so yes, David committed adultery, but his sin began when he failed to love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. His sin began as, a, as an act against the will of God. And here's how I understand this. Uh, the best way I know to kind of understand this in my own life is I've got three children. And sometimes I get irritated with my kids. Amen? Anybody? Parents? <laughs> and sometimes I get so... Because I'm so selfish... And because I don't like to be bothered, there are some times when my kids may do something that irritates me and I go over the top. You know what I mean? Where you overreact and you speak a little too harshly with your children. And then those moments where I, you know, I kind of snap and say, kids, quiet down, go to your room. When I overreact, on those, de- on those days when I come to my senses, You know, I always feel, I always have to go to my kids and ask for their forgiveness. But you know who I feel most ashamed of in front of? Is God. When I overreact and yell at my children, I feel ashamed in front of my kids, but I feel so much more ashamed with God. Why? Because I realize that God is the one who has given me these blessings. And yet I have put my selfish desire for a quiet house (laughs) over showing them grace. See, my sin against my children is first a sin against God. And David sees the truth of this in this moment. Against you and you only, God, have I sinned. See, David's not minimizing the pain that he's causing others, but rather he's going to the source of his sin and saying, God, I have sinned against you and I'm sorry. That's his confession. But then, the next step in overcoming our shame is asking for restoration. Look in verses 6 through 12. It says, surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. And blot out all of my iniquity. And then he asked, God, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David begins, he says, Wash me, God, purge me. This word purge literally means de-sin me. Yes. I've sinned, take it away, God. Make it as if I never did this in the first place. And he says, do it with hyssop. Now, in the Old Testament, the other times that hyssop was used for cleansing, it was used twice on two occasions. One, it was used for lepers. This is what the people would clean lepers with. You know, lepers were the outcasts. They were so diseased that they had been outcasts from society. They had to live separate from the rest of the community. People didn't want to touch them. People didn't want to talk to them. People didn't want to be around them. Many of you may know what that feels like, to be outcasts from your family or your community. But it was hyssop that they would try to cleanse lepers with. What is David saying about his sin? He's saying that my sin deserves that I be outcast. My sin is as... Ugly and disgusting as it gets. But more importantly, David, when, he, when we talk about hyssop, hyssop is what the Israelites used when they dipped the blood of the lamb and put it over their doorpost when the angel of death would come over. It was actually hyssop, being, their doorpost being clean. Being uh, the blood being spread with hyssop is actually what saved them. And so when David says, "Cleanse me with hyssop," he's saying, "Save me, God." And David says this. He says, "If you do this." I will be made whiter than snow. You know that song that we sing in church sometimes where it's like, my sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Everybody's like, you know, whoever wrote that, it's like, yeah, I wrote that. No, they didn't write that. David wrote that. Right here. He's the first one to say that. But here's what's so amazing about this, about David asking to be cleansed with his sin, his sin to be taken away, and him to be in the eyes of God to be made whiter than snow, is that at this time in history, there was no example of there was no precedent for this kind of request. Nobody had ever asked God to descend them. See, we now we hear verses like we know verses like 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of sins and cleanse us from all of the unrighteousness. Ephesians 1 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. But at this time in history, they didn't have 1 John. They didn't have Ephesians. In the Old Testament, when sin escalated, God wiped everybody out. Think about the flood. When sin escalated, God wiped everybody out. Think about the Tower of Babel. When sin escalated, God scattered everybody out. But David says, I know you've never done this before, but is there a way that you can cleanse me and make it as if I've never sinned in the first place? Heal me. Restore me. Nobody had ever asked God to blot out their iniquities. Blot it all out. Wash me. Cleanse me. And David does something that had never been done in recorded history at this point. He goes out on a limb and says, God, what about your mercy? David asked this question. Listen to this. This this is what David asks. He says, God, is it possible according to your love that you can blot out my sin, but not blot me out? Is it possible that you can kill my sin, but leave me whole? And this opens up a theme all throughout. Once David asks this and God grants it, this opens up a theme that we see all throughout the Scriptures. Isaiah 6. Isaiah, the prophet, is standing before God and there's these angels, these like beings, have burning coals that are coming toward him. And all throughout the Old Testament, the burning coals represent God's wrath and His judgment on our sin. And Isaiah is looking as the flames are coming toward them. He says, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. He he thinks he's going to die. But the coals touch his lips, but they don't burn him. Rather, they forget, they cleanse him of his sin. And God says, your guilt is taken away. And then finally on the cross, God punishes one man, his son Jesus, so that the rest of us could be saved from the penalty of our sin. See, through Christ, we have an answer to David's prayer. There is indeed a way in which our sin can be blotted out, but we can be left whole. His name is Jesus. See, you cannot remove, you cannot move to the next step in overcoming your shame without understanding of what God has done for you in Christ on the cross. Jesus has made a way for your sins to be completely stripped away from you, but for you to be left whole. Your sins were nailed to the cross, and they were left there. But Jesus went into a tomb and rose from the dead, and you came out with Him. Your sin is on the cross. Your your new life is in the resurrection. See, the way we often view repentance is we often think it's like this. God, I'm sorry for what I did. Now what do I need to do to make it right? How many days in a row do I need to go without a mistake before I can talk to you again? What prayer do I need to pray to move on with this? See, what do I need to do? How much money do I need to give to make myself right before you again? See, we often put the process of restoration in our own hands. And when we do this, we can never fully trust, love, and cherish and worship God because we'll never know if we've done enough to make it right. But the message of Jesus' mercy is that He restores, He forgives, yes. and the call then is to stand back up and keep following Him in every place. began this sermon with a story about this one time when I had sinned and I was sitting in my room feeling all this shame well that morning I remember picking up my phone and I remember sending a text message to my best friend and his name was Chase one of the godliest friends I've ever had, still have, and I remember texting him something along the lines, I said Chase I messed up, I brought dishonor to the name of Jesus and I am ashamed how can I call myself a Christian and he replied He said, Will, that isn't who you are. And I remember, I I couldn't even text. This is 2005, so it took forever to text back then. So I picked up the phone and I called him. I said, what are you talking about? That's not who I am. I said, that's exactly who I am. Who was I to think I could be a faithful Christian? I've got all this stuff in my past. I can't overcome it. This is who I am. I I remember saying to him, I can't follow Jesus the way you follow him, Chase. I'm not as good as you. I keep doing the same things. This is who I am. And he just came back again and he said, well, that's not who you are. He said, you're listening to the enemy. He said, and the enemy is accusing you of something that was already paid for on the cross. years ago. And I want you to know that that conversation has changed my entire life. Because on that day, I began to see the gospel that it's not something you just believe years ago to become a Christian. The gospel is something that you have to go back to every single day. And you have to remember that your sin is still nailed to that cross. But your new life is still in the resurrection of Jesus. See, in that moment, I wasn't fully convinced that Jesus had forgiven me. I didn't believe that the cross was enough. I felt like I had to add something to it. But my friend, taught, my friend Chase taught me a valuable lesson that day, and that is that you can never add to the mercy of God, so stop trying. Wow. But rather, rest in the mercy of God. So, you may have done something last night. I'm sure there's somebody in here who did something that they never thought they were going to do last night. Or maybe last week or whenever or whatever. And you think, how in the world could I have done that? And in your mind right now, you're sitting in church thinking, what do I need to do to get back on God's side? God says, Jesus has already done it. You just need to rest in the fact that you've already been forgiven that. See, God's grace was meant to be rested in, not earned. And that means that in your darkest moment and in your darkest sin, God is calling you to do what David did. And that is to throw yourself on the mercy of God who in Christ has covered all of your transgressions, all of your iniquity, and all of your sins. He has blotted out your sin on the cross that He has left you whole. He has cleansed you and restored you. And the call of Jesus is to believe that and then respond in worship. And this is the final thing we learned from David's prayer here. Here's the thing. When you experience the salvation of God, it's not meant to stop with you. It's meant to be told to the world. And so David makes a vow of worship. In verse 13 through 17, listen to what he says. If you do this for me, God, if you give me grace, I will teach transgressors your way. And sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O oh God, the God who saves me. And my tongue will then sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Look what he says. See, a prayer that began with David begging for healing ends with the assurance of hope. And David's hope for life is rekindled when he experienced the mercies of God. And David says, now that you've done this for me, God, I'm going to tell the world. Other people will see your power and grace and and will see because of what you've done for me, will see that you are good and kind and they will follow you because of what you also can do for them. This is amazing. David says, wouldn't it be amazing if a word got out that God doesn't just judge people, but that he forgives and heals and restores them? What if people heard stories about God being willing to restore even the worst of sinners? David says, God, if you restore me, I will tell others and they will worship you for your goodness. See, for David, don't miss this. For David, forgiveness results in evangelism and results in worship. See, forgiveness should create an insatiable desire within us to tell others about the mercy we've experienced in God. And here's what I love about this. Because David spent about a year trying to hide his shame from everybody else. I'm not going to let anybody find out about this. I'm not going to let anybody know. I'm going to die with this secret. But now that it's been brought to light, he says, I'm going to lead with it. This is going to be the first part of the story that I tell I'm not going to hide my shame anymore, God. Rather, I'm going to announce it so that I can proclaim how you've covered it and how gracious you are. At my church, we have testimonies just about every week. And there's always somebody standing up. They tell stories about, this is who I once was. And sometimes it can get a little uncomfortable. A while back, we had a woman stand up and she said, she said, I used to fantasize about killing my husband. That's like, no, no, no. That's the kind of stuff that we think we would never share with anybody, even though some of you probably had those kind of thoughts. We've had people, we've had people stand up and they say, I committed adultery. We've had people stand up and say, I was addicted to this and that. But because I feel like God has given us a vision of grace within our church, people are able to stand up and they're able to lay out the most shameful of secrets. And they say, but this isn't who I am. Because God covered me. And I think of what that says to our world. You know, I'm on the train today, and I'm a subway car full of people, and I'm going, what are they carrying with them? And do they know that Jesus can cover it? And when we're able to stand up and say, yes, this is my shame, but God has removed it from me, and he's given me his glory and his righteousness, then the world can see the power of Jesus and the beauty of the gospel. My favorite person in the Bible is Peter. Anybody love Peter? I like Peter because Peter is a knucklehead. I grew up in the South. Knucklehead, that's what my mom called me. Yeah. Knucklehead is just an idiot, you know, just a dummy. But Peter, like Peter, man, you can't doubt Peter's love for Jesus. The guy loved Jesus. But man, he just kept tripping over himself all the time. He's like, man, I'm trying to follow Jesus. But he kept tripping over his own feet and his own past sins. He had a tendency to be racist. You know, in Acts, he, in the gospel, of, in the book of Acts, Paul had to call him out. Paul's a new Christian. And Peter was like the pastor. And Paul's like, dude, you're being a racist. And you stop. And Peter's like, yeah, you're right. And he repents and he moves on. But one of my favorite stories of Peter is, you know, right before Jesus was crucified, he said, one of you guys is going to deny me. And Peter's like, there is no way that's going to be me. Peter's looking around the table going, "Ah, it's probably going to be John, it's probably going to be Thomas. He's like, but it won't be me. He said, I'll never do that, Jesus. But then you imagine the shame that Peter must have felt. That, later that night, when Peter denied Jesus, when that teenage girl asked him, said, don't I know you? Don't, don't you follow him? And what's so great about that story is after Peter had denied Jesus, there's a little bit of time passes Jesus has risen from the dead, and Peter's not sure if he's ever going to see Jesus again. He's not sure what his life is going to be. And Peter, I think he understood that God had forgiven him, but I think he thought that God could never use him again. And so Peter, Pedro likes to fish, but Peter was a fisherman before he became a disciple. After he committed this sin and denied Jesus, where would he go back to? He went back to fishing. In John chapter 21, we see Peter, he's gone, he's gone back to what represents his old life. God called him to be a pastor, a missionary, but he says, you know what, I can't do that. I've, 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 shamed, I've, I've brought shame on the name of Jesus. I'm just going to go back to being a fisherman. And he's out fishing one day, and he's out off the shore, and some guy yells to him, hey, cast your net on the other side of the boat. Peter's like, okay. Cast his net on the other side of the boat, pulls it, and it's full of fish, and immediately Peter understands that's Jesus. And Peter jumps out of the boat and starts swimming. The Bible says it's only 100 yards. I'm like, you're in a boat? I probably would just have taken the boat to the shore. But Peter was so ready to see Jesus that he swims and he swims and he swims and he gets to the shore. And Jesus is cooking breakfast for Peter. And Jesus asked him, do you love me? And Peter was hesitant to answer. But he said, Lord, I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. See, despite being a failure in his mind, and despite carrying so much shame, Jesus looked at Peter, forgave him, and gave him a mission. And Peter became one of the greatest missionaries this world has ever seen. In fact, Jesus said, Peter, on you I will build my church. And I tell you that because whatever your past looks like, however great your sin, the grace of Jesus is greater. And you may think that God could never love or use someone like you, but the promise of Psalm 51 and the promise of the gospel is this. If you bring your shame to Jesus, he will exchange it with his grace. He did it with Peter. He did it with David. And he will do it for you. He will cover your song, and as David said, he will put a new song in your mouth.